Hello and welcome to this podcast from the BBC World Service. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. Wir von Enterprise Rent a Car passen unsere Mobilitätslösungen an Ihre geschäftlichen Anforderungen an, wie auch immer diese aussehen mögen. Ob Sie nun stundenweise Autos für Ihr Verkaufsteam brauchen, Wochen-, Monats- oder Jahreweise, Transporter für die Auslieferung Ihrer Produkte oder eine Flotte von Ersatzfahrzeugen für den Fall, dass Ihre Kunden Bedarf haben, Enterprise Rent a Car hat alles, was Sie benötigen. Und mit mehr Filialen an mehr Standorten auf der ganzen Welt sind wir überall dort, wo Sie uns suchen. Bei Enterprise.de finden Sie alles, was Sie brauchen. The Happy Pod is a special weekly episode from the Global News Podcast, bringing you positive stories and uplifting interviews from around the world. I've got some good news for you. It's a beautiful place to be. A really good vibe, you know? It's the audio equivalent of rose-tinted spectacles. The world's happiest stories. Your story is absolutely inspirational. Uplifting. Remarkable. Listen now by searching for the Global News Podcast from the BBC World Service, wherever you get your podcasts. Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we can begin. I just want to see how well you're able to listen. So I'd like to run a little national hearing test. Have a listen to the following clip and when you hear the tone for the first time, just raise your hand. I'll be breaking it down into brackets of 10-year blocks. Let's just assume most of you are over 30, so I'll start there. Good luck. 30 40 50 60, 70, 80, 90. How did you do? Did you hear the tone around about the right age bracket? Either way, don't worry if you didn't hear the right thing the right time, or even maybe didn't hear anything at all. This was a fairly unscientific experiment to help demonstrate that our hearing deteriorates rather predictably as we age. But it does bring into focus our story for this episode, which is our hearing, and what it can tell us about the world, and what it can't. I'm Ben Garrett, Professor of Evolutionary Biology at the University of East Anglia. I specialise in how our group in the animal kingdom has evolved and adapted over time. I'm fascinated by how the world around us has shaped us and how we interact with our surrounding environments. At the very forefront of this are our senses, that collective of sight, smell, taste, hearing and touch. In this series, I want to find out not only how our senses allow us to understand and explore what's around us, but how we might borrow from nature and harness and develop technologies and maybe even redefine what it means to see, hear and feel along the way. In the second episode of Super Sensors, we'll move on to our ears, the incredible parts of our body that allow us to hear the sounds of the birds in the morning, the roar of a saxophone in our favourite record or the pitter-patter of rain hitting the rooftop. In this episode, 
we'll take inspiration from the evolution of other species from across the natural world, and learn from technology, to maybe better understand and even enhance our hearing altogether. There's one species I know in the animal kingdom that has an extraordinary ear for sound. To find out more, I travelled to the Natural History Museum in London. So I've come to the Mammal Hall, which for many of us is an iconic moment in our childhood lives and probably through the rest of our lives for, for a lot of us. It's where, for me at least, it was the first time I really became inspired by nature, really saw the biggest animals on the planet next to me, the whales. And it is such an iconic room to be in. But it also gives us the perfect viewpoint to look at a sperm whale. And Travis, this is why we're here, because they hear in a really quite marked way, don't they? Yes, it's a completely different way to yourself or myself would hear. Dr Travis Park is a postdoctoral paleontologist specialising in cetacean evolution at the Natural History Museum. They are the, the loudest animal on the planet. Over 230 decibels is sort of the, the noise levels that they can reach when they're making some of their sounds. Some of the sounds they produce are actually louder than a, an airplane taking off on a runway. So they can produce incredibly loud noises, but they are also capable of hearing quieter noises as well. Their communication abilities are just phenomenal. They actually are a really widespread species, but each uh, sort of different group around the world will have their own sort of accent or dialect. Um, and which I just think is absolutely amazing as well. I'm quite a keen swimmer, um, but I'm not very good at hearing underwater. Everything sounds quite muffled. Are they hearing the same sort of rubbish underwater cacophony that I am? When we're in water and the sound comes to us, we cannot tell which direction it comes from, and that's because the sound just hits our tissues and just travels into our ears, coming from multiple directions at once. So um, that's why it's very sort of disorienting for us in the water. Sperm whales, however, have sort of ear bones that are isolated from the rest of the skull, or relatively so, and that's, this actually gives them the ability to detect which direction the sound is coming from. I'm really nerdy about whales and their anatomy. You've got a box next to me and I'm quite quite excited to see what's inside. Yep, let's have a look. Let's open it up. What we've got here is uh, the, the scientific name is the tympanoperiodic complex, but it's basically the middle ear and the inner ear of, in this case, this is a sperm whale. Um, and this is where the sound goes from actually being a sound wave, sort of made of vibrations, in this case in the fluid inside the inner ear, and it actually gets converted into an electrical signal and sent along the auditory nerve to the brain of the sperm whale, and they then realise, oh, I've heard a sound. What are they listening for? What are they listening to? What's going on in their environment? They need such a specialised set of adaptations for hearing. Well, I mean, they're spending so much time down at these incredible depths, you know, sometimes more than two kilometres deep, so it is completely pitch black, and sound is their only way to navigate that environment. So... They're either using that to try and find prey or to actually communicate with one another and, and navigate those uh, really you know, extreme environments at those depths. So sperm whales can hear a range of frequencies. So if they're trying to communicate over longer distances, they'll tend to use lower frequencies, maybe down as low as, say, 500 hertz. But if they're doing echolocation, hunting for prey, they will be using much higher frequencies, sometimes up to 30,000 hertz or 30 kilohertz um, at times as well. With so many adaptations making the sperm whale and other toothed whales so acutely attuned to their surroundings, it must be the case, I guess, then, that changes within these aquatic environments are affecting these whales. It is. um, They are really specialised in their their anatomy 
and with the increasing amount of noise that is coming from human activities uh, around the oceans, um, they're finding it harder to communicate over these really long distances. So the spheres of their communication are being reduced. Uh, whales are being forced to surface much more rapidly than their bodies can handle, and that's leading to stranding events and things like that. We've learned how a sperm whale's ear is a finely tuned evolutionary system for long-distance hearing, and how sound passes through the different cavities of our ear to our brain. But we can also see how the impact of human-made sound is causing huge problems for species living in our oceans. But could we also use sound as a solution to this problem? Underwater, we also only perceive a, a tiny bit of what the sound dimension of the ocean is. Professor Michel Andre is the director of the Laboratory of Applied Bioacoustics at the Technical University of Catalonia. So it's only thanks to uh, technology that now we are able to, to hear what is going on in the water. The perception of sound is probably uh, the only sense that all creatures on Earth share, being plant, uh, animal, terrestrial or aquatic. He's been thinking about how we could protect many of these endangered species that use the ocean to communicate. If we go back to uh, the um, early uh, 20th century, um, when we started to uh, exploit the ocean in an industrial way, we found that the human activity had introduced for 80 years massive amount of sound without knowing that this sound could affect marine organisms. If we managed to find a way to mitigate this effect by shutting down some of the sources that are not used, then we could find a way to, uh, to limit this effect uh, on the marine organisms. One day, he received a call. In the Canary Islands, whales were increasingly finding themselves in the path of the local ferries. No alarm system was in place to alert the whales or ferry drivers, and sadly, some whales were being fatally struck by the boats. Michel thought he might have a solution. And uh, the company uh, uh, asked us to try to find a way to uh, prevent these collisions. And uh, instead of deterring away the whales by producing uh, deterring sound, and uh, instead of uh, trying to deter them away, we should listen to the whales and uh, locate them to the sounds they produce and alert the captains of the presence of these whales so they can timely change the course of their vessel and prevent these uh, collisions. So it was one of the first uh, applications uh, of passive acoustics to address this issue of collision between uh, ferries and, uh, and whales. Taking the principles he'd learned in the Canary Islands, he thought about how he could apply the thinking to other contexts. In the Amazon, we have these freshwater dolphins, the pink dolphins, that are facing a big uh, problem of overfishing. Also, because of uh, illegal mining, they have all these uh, chemicals thrown in, uh, in the water and that, that is uh, affecting the environment. But dolphins use uh, constantly the sonar, which is an echolocation system that produces sound. We uh, developed a system that is looking at the sonar system and the echolocation signals from these dolphins. And as soon as uh, this is detected, there is a release of a curtain of bubbles that act as an acoustic mirror from this uh, echolocation signal and the dolphin turns away and then leave the area. That's really interesting. And already I'm, my brain's fizzing with all the different applications and, and potentials here. In your mind, where could this technology lead us? What's the, what's the ambition here for you? For the last 10 years, we've been monitoring biodiversity through sounds in the Amazon 
in Africa, in India, uh, by uh, deploying, installing uh, ears, we call them smart ears. Uh, they are not only ears, they are uh, these uh, microphones that are able to also process the data and through uh, AI techniques and machine learning approach, we are able to identify different sources of sound, but also to build what we call the bioacoustic activity of an area. What we've learned so far is about how much the natural world depends on sound and how we, as a species, are getting better at listening to the things going on around us. Michel has taught us that if we consider sound in new ways, we might just be able to help conservation efforts for a whole range of different species. Alongside Michel, many researchers have started to use technology as a way of studying the production, transmission and reception of animal sounds. I knew from, you know, like since I was a child that I wanted to study and work with wildlife. Dr. Marconi Campos is the Chief Science Officer at Rainforest Connection. When I started my career in Brazil, like the first thing that we need to do to really start, you know, like learning about birds is going to the forest uh, with a recorder uh, and try to identify as many birds as you can and try to understand their behavior, right? And at the beginning, I could see the species, but I could not fully uh, identify the species at the species level because I couldn't really say what are the colors of the birds. So that's when I, you know, like I, I realized I was colorblind. That's why I started really relying heavily on acoustic monitoring to try to study and understand, uh, you know, biodiversity. And I guess it makes sense. I mean, it's almost a uh... It's almost an accidental academic discovery that made you realize that, yes, your challenge enabled you to look at this whole problem in a very different way. And it sounds, it sounds almost obvious that we listen to birds in order to, to monitor them. But I guess that hadn't really been done before in a systematic approach. So you developed or helped uh, develop a whole systematic approach to using bird song and calls to understand the ecology. So I remember, for example, like the first time that I, I went to the Amazon forest, I was, I was so excited because I was thinking that I was able to see a lot of different species, birds, macaws, parrots, jaguars. But when, when you actually are there and you are in the forest, you realize that you will not see any of those animals. But if you just like stop, close your eyes and start to listen to the forest, you will see that you can actually identify all those species by sound. I remember when I first went out on a research trip to follow wild primates. Just tracking them down was a task in itself. Not to mention the hours of wading through the thick tropical forests, the hours of sitting, waiting and then having a limited window to record the vital information I needed for my work. And even then, I couldn't stay out overnight or see beyond the perspective of what my eyes or even my trusty pair of binoculars, could see. But what would it be like to extend our senses? Some researchers have been looking at technology that allows us to listen to an entire forest all at the same time. One of the biggest challenges that we have right now is really how to disentangle the effects of climate change and land use change on biodiversity. And I think 
the best way to actually attack that is actually to implement those long-term monitoring projects because that's the only way that you can really understand if we are losing forests at a global scale but we do not fully understand what is happening with the animals inside those forests. So that was the original idea on starting using acoustic devices to capture what was happening with the fauna inside the forests. One technology supporting that revolution is AI-trained remote-sensing microphones. These are small audio devices that, once installed, can remotely record the sounds of the forest 24-7 at a range of different frequencies. This is extending our hearing massively, allowing researchers to detect particular noises remotely and even sending alarm signals to the relevant authorities if triggered. In Puerto Rico, Marconi has been behind a project to install up to 900 of these sensors across the range of islands on the peninsula, giving him a remote view of exactly what was happening within the habitat. After a hurricane on the Puerto Rican peninsula, it was possible to use the microphones to better understand what effects the storm had had on the local wildlife, mapping the migration of animals up to more mountainous regions where the threat of climate change is less intensive. This is at the heart of what bioacoustics is helping us do. Listen to an entire archipelago from our computer. But Puerto Rico is far away and entirely distant to me and my everyday life. Could we take the same thinking that Marconi and his team are using in the Caribbean and try it in my back garden? Wouldn't it be cool to have a go at building our own? And where would we even start? I turn to Dr. Evelyn Pina Kovarubius, a research fellow at the Centre for Biological Sciences at the University of Southampton. So this is the garden. We've got one and a half acres and we've got lawns that you can see here and there's quite a mature part of the forest as well, although we are in the middle of Bristol City. So it's quite a haven, really. And we've got owls, we've got peregrines, we've got nuthatches, we've got a whole range of different things. But it'd be really nice to know a little bit more about what's here as well. Evelyn was part of a team that helped develop and test a range of these acoustic devices during fieldwork in Belize. I mean, you and I, we're, you're an ecologist, I'm a biologist. Yeah. I think we're pretty good at this. So why do we need technology to help us look for sounds? It's really difficult to be in a place 24-7. So that's why uh, conservation uh, technology is super, super helpful for us because it just basically provides a 24-hour ear. It's really nice because we're stood in the middle of my garden and I'm pretty confident I know most of the birds out here, but you don't typically work in my garden, do you? So where do you no. normally use these, these incredible little devices? Well, I work in Belize mm -hmm. uh, in this uh, uh, rainforest. I started doing my PhD uh, with ecology of mammals and I was also interested in illegal hunting but I didn't really know how to, how to explore that area and uh, my supervisor came with this really cool idea of you know, uh, studying sounds of illegal activities and that's how it all started. I thought it was really a really cool idea. I didn't know anything about sounds. I have no background. I'm an ecologist so I have no background whatsoever of engineering sounds anything so i started from scratch and i can see you've got one of these little audio moths in your hands here now i've got to say i'm a little bit disappointed 
because it doesn't look like a moth. I thought it would yeah. look like a robotic moth, but it's it's a small green plastic box, about six centimetres by maybe five centimetres by about three centimetres deep, shiny plastic with a, a Velcro strap, which looks like a pinhole lens in the top right-hand corner. is. It's the microphone hole. Of so course. that's that's. It's, it's, I guess it's waterproof as well. It has yeah, to it be. is. It has to be. Good. Yeah, especially for human environments. You. It's quite simple, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's supposed to be like this. The the whole idea of this device was to be cheap and easy to use. But are these just for academics, or is this the sort of thing that we could all have in our in our garden to to listen who's living where? Oh no no! This is for everybody. The the cool thing about these devices is that anybody can. Uh, play around with them you don't really need any sort of uh, training mm-hmm. i mean of course you can do very you know complicated things with them but you don't necessarily have to so you basically can just put them on as, as just as, as a recorder and then go back to your place put the other card in your computer and then just listen what you just heard how many of these might there be around the world i mean is there thousands hundreds of thousands millions what are we talking Oof. Um, so far, uh, I think it's thousands of them. Uh, I think this this kind of you know uh, local tech has opened the, the, the you know the doors for different types of projects that simply weren't uh, uh, possible. It's exciting. The whole world's becoming more connected and 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 listening into nature suddenly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again and again, we're seeing how these bioacoustic devices have been able to open up a world of understanding for researchers. With Evelyn we were able to build a network of five remote audio sensors scattered across my garden. In a week, I'll come back to them and find out what they've been able to hear flying around and rustling in the flower beds. It's all well and good capturing all this data, but the next thing is to find ways to interpret it. Thankfully, there are a number of tools to speed up the process of understanding the data collected by these monitors. Back to Marconi. AI will play a fundamental role on helping us to actually extract useful and meaningful ecological and biological information from those audio files. So when I started my master's in in the Amazon in Brazil, I was deploying those uh, acoustic devices in the forest. And then I I had more than like 10 terabytes of data, but I didn't have the time uh, to actually go through all those 10 terabytes. So I was probably just like analyzing and listening to less than 5% of the data that I was actually able to collect. And then I met a professor in the University of Puerto Rico, Mitch Aid, who have developed a platform called Arbimon that really is trying to help us out in the sense of It's a really user-friendly platform that allows you to upload your recordings and you can train the system to automatically identify the species that you are interested in. These tools allow people to upload thousands of hours of recordings and use AI to quickly understand what might be in them. But one of the simplest techniques is just like giving one example of the species call that is called uh, template matching or pattern matching. And the system will find similar calls and vocalizations, songs from that single example that you created and you provide you with additional examples. I think that gives us so much exciting potential for the future to look at so much more in, in more detail. But you've mentioned this already that you are focusing on one fascinating and interesting area, but does this allow itself to be 
spread across the world? Will we be seeing the same sort of technology and the same approach in, in Europe, in, in Africa, across Asia? Is this the future of surveys and ecology work, do you think? My dream is exactly what you just mentioned, is really to create a, you know, like a global, real-time uh, network of acoustic devices, really collecting information real-time and sending all that information, uh, making all that information available so that everyone everywhere in the world can actually like from from your the comfortable of your seats in your house you can just open your computer and you can uh, listen and see what is happening in in the amazon or indonesia and also allow us to actually gather that information at the global scale will be one of the ways that we can really improve the way that we are protecting and conserving biodiversity we in Rainforest Connection are really trying to do that. Right now, we have projects in more than uh, 130 countries around the world. In our platform right now, we have recordings from more than uh, 130 countries around the world. We have data from more than 3,000 species in the system, 100 million one-minute recordings in, in our platform, which may translate in more than 189 years of data collected. Tools trained on systems like these could mean that everyone is able to get a richer understanding of nature. And that's all down to the incredible combination of sound recorders and AI working together to understand the natural world better. But what was creeping around my garden after all? I found lots of blue tits. Uh, Grey tits, uh, wrens, uh, blackbirds, eagles, um, and some others that I wasn't sure. Yeah, and at some point I heard, I think, well, I think he was a kid crying in the background. But then I went to check the badgers, that, you know, how, how the badgers called, and it sounds like a child crying. Okay. So I'm not sure. <laughs> In your feedback that you sent via an email, you said at one point it sounded as though there was some human encroachment almost, some some chainsaws and some... And what I've forgotten to tell you was that we had some tree work. We had a, quite a, an old tree that was listing and it needed to unfortunately come down. So I guess that was more what you were working with from your side of uh, uh, poaching and, uh, and trees being illegally felled. And I, I can imagine that was more more easy to pick up for you. Yeah, it was it was kind of strange to hear that because <laughs> I was just the only thing for birdies and you know I don't know maybe sirens, but then I heard this strange noise. I was very familiar with, so I was like, we didn't quite discover which rare species I've got in my garden, but it did help me. It helped me understand just how important it is for you to be able to detect these illegal activities in in these primary forests around the world. Shutting our eyes and just listening, really listening, can reveal a whole cacophony of sounds, from the rustling of elusive mammals and calls of territorial birds sharing our gardens, to an approaching storm front about to land on a Caribbean archipelago. Aided by technology, we're getting to hear an even richer range of sounds than ever before. We've seen sound-inspired solutions to dangerous animal collisions and harness the power of hidden auditory spies to uncover more about my own garden. In the third episode of Super Sensors, we'll move on to the mysterious world of taste and smell, 
although some researchers think it was perhaps the very first of our senses to develop hundreds of millions of years ago, we still lack a comprehensive language to describe many of the smells around us. We'll find out whether you can smell a friend a mile off and how in the future we might be smelling the world through our phones. Hi, I'm Claire Graham. And I'm the BBC World Affairs editor, John Simpson. And we'd like to tell you about a new podcast from the BBC World Service, The Explanation. The Explanation looks beyond the headlines, bringing you in-depth analysis of the stories affecting our lives. Whether it's important, long-running issues... Or the latest global events. We're making sense of the big stories. And giving you an honest, unvarnished explanation of the world. Search for The Explanation wherever you get your BBC podcasts.